a Podcast One production. This is Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter. In this podcast, every week we choose a situation going on somewhere in the world and we break it down. This man breaks it down, Dr Keith Souter, renowned subject matter expert in international affairs, a couple of PhDs on the subject matter and also been a media commentator for many, many years on these issues as well. You must have seen and heard him somewhere. The man's been everywhere and we've been working together for many years as well in television and radio. My name's Kate Mack. Generally, I'm much more ignorant than you are on any of these issues. So I ask questions that probably most people will be wondering about as well, the background of these sorts of things we talk about. So today we're talking about police brutality, which I think is obviously crucial at the moment. It's a very timely issue and it has been one that's been around for generations. I mean, in pretty much every country in the world, but we're, we're more aware of it in relation to Aboriginal um, Australians here in Australia. In America, we're seeing it with a lot of black Americans as well. So, Keith, let's, let's get to the bottom of the issue here. Yeah, so this is uh, the whole question now, which is very much under um, scrutiny because of the level of police violence against rioters and against uh, particularly people of colour. But more generally, you know, you do get on average about three people per day in the United States getting shot dead by the police. There is no national collection of statistics, so the figure could in fact be much higher. There are also 18,000 separate American police forces, so it's a very diverse system of police. What is effective, though, is the police unions, and so they have been able to protect their members. Well, they're a union, that's what they're designed to do. So, for example, the police have in some jurisdictions bills of rights which actually protect them from complaints from the general public. For example, there is a cooling-off period. Now, if you look at the real world of crime, as soon as an incident occurs, you need to be on the crime scene collecting the evidence. In the United States, it's possible for there to be a cooling-off period. We don't allow that to civilians, but the police can go for a month before people start to investigate. So this just shows how the police are treated differently from the general community. There could be no anonymous complaints made against the police. So if you complain about the police, they will get your name and address. So that's another deterrent to actually wanting to make a complaint about police behaviour. And then over a period of time, the police records of misconduct get erased, which enables a police officer who's killed somebody in one jurisdiction and perhaps lost his job or her job, to then be transferred to another jurisdiction and start all over again. What I think has happened, particularly with the death of Mr Floyd, suddenly the spotlight has been shone on the American police system and suddenly we're getting all of these questions being asked about the way things have gone on. They've just been swept under the carpet. You know, we've had unfortunate tragedies, but... Suddenly, for a while, police uh, are under investigation and then the whole thing goes away. But now it's more sustained. Uh, yes, I was about to say, because we've seen these sorts of riots in the past, we've seen these sorts of outcries in the past against police brutality, specifically in relation to the dealings with black Americans. Yep. Um, but it seems the video of George, George Floyd, the fact that they've got it all on camera, the fact that he was ignoring bystanders in terms of checking his pulse, doing all these sorts of things, that, that feels like the difference here, Keith, perhaps. Absolutely. So you've got that issue. Uh, and, of course, we've had a later murder 
or later mm. incident occurring down at Atlanta. Oh. So, yes, all this is now being captured on mobile phones in a way you wouldn't have done previously. Now, what is interesting is that D. Ray Mackison has proposed eight reforms for improving the uh, method of policing in the United States. And what he wants to do is to ban choke holds and strangle holds, which is the one obviously very much under consideration at the moment, require de-escalation, require warning before shooting. Remember that young Australian woman who was shot uh, in her pyjamas? She'd gone down to the police. Justine. Justine, mm. Rootsack, yeah. So she, they just suddenly shot her. There was no warning given to that. Exhaust all other means before shooting. There's a duty to intervene and stop excessive force by other officers. In other words, that if an officer sees one of their colleagues behaving inappropriately, they should intervene. There should be the banning of shooting at moving vehicles. They require the use of force continuum. So instead of automatically leaping ahead to the most extreme, you gradually build up and then require comprehensive reporting each time an officer uses force or threatens to do so. So in the Australian context, for example, every time a police officer discharges their weapon, a report is made. Whereas in the United States, people are getting shot and killed and there's no report really being done. You've just suddenly got a dead body in the morgue. So it's, it's, it's a very weird situation, which helps to explain why so many blacks and Latinos have no confidence in the police force. So when you look at opinion surveys, you find that uh, in, in both cases, both communities, only a minority of people have any confidence in the police force. Most don't trust them. And as I say, there is now this additional scrutiny. And so we're beginning to learn a lot more about what it's like to be black in America. One of the things that struck me about Barack Obama, when you see him moving around, he moves like a ballet star. It's very graceful. It's very elegant. He has learnt that if you're a young black male and you move suddenly, you can get shot. So Barack Obama has been brought up to believe that you should move slowly without any abrupt changes. That way you don't scare people and accidentally end up with somebody shooting you. So Obama then has this, this sort of fluidity of movement, which is really reassuring because you don't think he's suddenly going to pull a gun out on you, mm. which is how a lot of white Americans perceive young blacks in the street, that they're all potential criminals. And this is disparity that's been going on for very many years, hasn't it? That sort of, as we've talked about in the, in the um, past episode in the last couple of yeah. weeks, is that a very clear disparity between rich and poor and white and black over there, Keith. It is. It's it's a really difficult situation. Trump hasn't helped it, but he can't be blamed for it. We've got centuries of discrimination against blacks, which can't be changed overnight. I think that what is required are extensive changes in a number of areas, including businesses. You know, it's interesting to see these business CEOs now becoming very politically correct and saying we support the Black Lives Matter. Well, I'd be more impressed if those people were paying more tax and enabling more money to go into these poor areas. This is the hypocrisy of the thing. And the worry that I've got is that this current flurry of activity will itself dissipate. 
because it's going to go off into a tangent of bringing down civil war statues, etc. And and so suddenly you end up with the politics of symbolism. Instead of really addressing basic issues, which require a lot of thought, instead we're going to end up with bringing down a few statues, etc. And suddenly people say, oh, well, we're obviously on the way to solving that problem. We can move on to something else. Or there'll be another crisis come along, a new coronavirus problem or whatever. And so that way we fail to get political change in the United States. You're listening to Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. Today we're talking about police brutality, uh, particularly focused on the states because their laws are somewhat different over there. But, Keith, there have been some um, murmurs this last couple of weeks about changing some of those laws. What would that look like? Yes, so the proposal is that you would defund the police, which is a stupid expression but a good idea. So defunding the police, well, let me just say the, the phrase scares white Americans, right? You know, suddenly the the police are going to be removed. No, they're not. What it will do is to reallocate police duties. So, for example, the United States spends about $120 billion on the police force. $20 billion goes on paying police forces to be in schools. Now, we don't have police officers patrolling Australian schools. We have other arrangements, but we don't need to have police officers patrolling schools. So the suggestion, therefore, is that you reduce the scope of police responsibility and also you you stop supplying them with military equipment. Remember, the Pentagon every year is oversubscribed in terms of all the equipment that it gets. It doesn't need the amount that it keeps being voted for from Congress. But the military-industrial complex says you've got to have more and more weapons because it keeps more and more people employed. So then the, the military donate their equipment, which perhaps is only a year old, to local police forces. So the suggestion has been that you reduce the scope of police responsibility, you reduce the uh, police acquisition of military equipment, and, and instead you increase the mental health and housing expenditure, you increase community mediation, you have violence, what's called violence interruption programs, And you have restorative justice where the victim is brought face-to-face with the person who committed the crime, so the criminal. That's an idea that actually began in New Zealand. We see it a bit in Australia. So it's called restorative justice. But you'd keep the police away from drugs, domestic violence, homelessness and mental health issues. They're social worker issues. Mm. Or you have social workers going out with the police and letting the social workers tell the police what should be done. We see that in Australia. You know, from the Australian context, this is not rocket science. It's stuff that we are already doing. Now, that's not to say that Australia is perfect or that New Zealand is perfect. We clearly do have crimes, although the crime rate overall seems to be going down. The murder rate has remained stable since 1901. Most murders, but I say 1901 because that's the date of Federation for Australia and the collection of national statistics. Most victims are known uh, to their uh, to the criminal. In other words, that it's a domestic dispute, right? It's not like an Agatha Christie novel where uh, you know you require super 
brilliant sleuthing around with a Miss Marple or Urku Puro. You don't need any of those to sort out Australian murders. It's quite often the murderer reporting to the police saying, I've just stabbed my wife or I've just killed my baby. So everyone gets very frightened when they see something in the news about someone who stalks someone in a park or, you know, a random indiscriminate killing, but in fact they are, they're very much the rarities. Very, very much the rarity. The media distort the risk of a person being killed. It's mainly from within your own family. And the home is the most dangerous place to be in Australia in terms of murders. <laughs> You're safer out on the streets a bit, Kate. So what we've got then is this idea that uh, with defunding the police in the United States, you reduce the scope of police responsibility, less military equipment and greater uh, funding available for social workers and programs relating to uh, drugs, etc. The United States, and this is, a, I think, a subject for a separate program, really, it's so complex, but the United States began its own war on drugs under President Nixon. The Americans love wars, either in Iraq or Afghanistan or Vietnam or a war on poverty, war on cancer, war on drugs, and the war on drugs has been a failure. So there is now a movement to decriminalise that. Now, the police won't like that because that's a large slice of their work that goes on arresting drug traffickers. But it means that, you know, the poor old police get caught up in things that, you know, they're at the end of the food chain, so to speak. If you were to get bigger changes within society, we could actually reduce their workload, make life easier and reduce the level of of police brutality and perhaps improve the status of police amongst these minority communities. Well, they don't they have a very, very high murder rate, though, in America, Keith? You could take away the drug thing, but isn't the murder rate still going to be the same? Oh, it's still very high, but declining. In America? The murder rate is declining in the United States, yeah. What? With all those guns? With all these guns, yeah. And so what about systemic racism? Because a lot of this stuff, especially the criticism of the American police force, comes down to, well, what can what people describe exactly. as... and. Deep-seated racism. It's just ingrained in these people. And you're not going to change that overnight. And the education programs I don't think are going to be terribly successful either. I'm sorry to be so pessimistic, but it's a culture change that is required. But also it requires for blacks themselves to have their own standard of living improved. So, you know, we've looked at redlining, for example, which is the way the city planners have kept blacks in ghettos. Now, we need to have an end to rent lining and we need to be able to integrate those communities far more. So there are a lot of things that could be done. So they're not just immediate policing issues. There are deeper social trends that need to be addressed. But the problem is you can't do that in a, in a society which is saturated with a 24-7 media cycle. Yeah, that's exactly right. It makes it hard. And as you say, like in a lot of these communities, uh, there, there is so much segregation that goes on. So there's a lot of white communities that just don't have any black Americans living there. I watched Michelle Obama's documentary recently uh, about her book and um, it's on Netflix or one of those and um, she was just talking about the fact that when she moved into her house and sh- I think it was Chicago as well, they-, they were the first black people to live on the street and, of course, the whites were quite up in arms that it was becoming a black area and so they all moved out and then it became a black area because yeah. they were, they just could not, they could not live with black people. Now, that was obviously decades ago but she's saying that sort of stuff can still go on so you still got these these people, and probably in the police force, they don't exist, they exist everywhere, where they just haven't had exposure to anyone black or their only encounters have been negative. So it's this, you and know. And they, they look upon all black people as potential criminals. Yeah. 
So you shoot first and ask questions later. So it's going to require quite a bit of work to change this in the United States. Unfortunately, President Trump isn't doing much to help the situation. As I say, he can't be blamed for it, but he isn't actually improving the situation either. Well, he didn't show any empathy for the situation in the slightest. In the first instance, he threatened military action. So what are people meant to think? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. but, But could he... What kind of influence do you think if he did change his tone, because he did change his tone from the Atlanta incident in the last couple of days, what good could he do, do you think? Well, the problem for the president is that, as I said, we've got 18,000 separate police forces. So it's not even just an issue for state governors, of whom there are only 50. So you've got so many different layers of control and command and it's going to be very difficult to bring about changes. Trump certainly could uh, change the veneer, can change the tone of the debate, but it's going to require a lot of local action to deal with those 18,000 separate police forces. So nothing's going to be solved overnight, Keith, in this one? No, not at all, I'm afraid. Thank you for enlightening us. This has been Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter. It's recorded in the studios of Podcast One. Producer is me, Kate Mack. Production assistance by Matt Dwyer. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. And for more episodes, head to podcastoneaustralia.com.au or download the Podcast One Australia app. 